In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We continue to study the book of Song of Songs, or chapter 4, verse 12. Just want to remind you of a couple of things. So we said the spiritual life starts by the Lord inviting the human soul by giving the soul initial grace. Usually the soul after this is fought by discouragement and by its ignorance of the spiritual life. Then the second stage, usually the, the, the soul is fought with laziness. And if it ever overcomes this laziness, then the soul is invited to marrying God. Now once the soul married the Lord, we saw chapter 4, it was all God talking about how beautiful the soul is. And that's what we have been talking about for the last few chapters, for the last, for the last couple of meetings. And the last verse that we talked about last time is God said, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. We saw the language changing. He's constantly referring to the soul as a spouse, as a wife. Because now there is a true marriage that happened. God is saying that my spouse is completely and fully dedicated to me. One of the fathers used to say, at the beginning of my spiritual life, I used to read about God. Later on, I used to run after people who have experience with God so I could learn from them. Until at the end of my life, I do not want to, to talk to anybody except to God. For the Lord continues to describe the beautiful soul that married him. We we'll look in verse 13. He says, Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spike, yard, with spike nard. The word orchard, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it means like it's more like a paradise. It's like a ground with woods in it. So he's telling her, Your paradise is not only flowers. Your paradise actually has fruits. And the paradise looks like a pomegranate. Why? You guys remember we said pomegranate is red. Reminds us of people who are feeling unworthy. So what keeps that garden, that paradise beautiful is humility. So this garden is not simply a nice garden that people walk in. It's a garden that has fruits. And this is what the Lord said in John 15, 18. He says, by this, my father is glorified. How is God glorified? That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. God wants us to bear fruit. One of the saints said, I have become Interial, interiorly united with God. His presence penetrates me to my very depth and fills me with peace, joy, and amazement. After such moments of prayer, I'm filled with strength and extra, extraordinary will to suffer and struggle. A garden that's interior inside the person enjoys the presence of God 
fruitful and in constant communication with God. Obviously, the key part of the fruit we talk about is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the source of all the fruits we have. And when he says it's a fragrance of henna with a spike nard, he's talking about these sort of fruits were produced by small love and sacrifices. Spike, spike, yard, spike nard is, a, is an, a very expensive uh, uh, sort of offering that reminds us of the love that's required in the fruitful garden. So when God comes inside your heart, He sees fruits and He sees beauty. And all this is protected by pomegranate, by humility. And all of this is reserved for Him alone. It says, Spike Nord, Shafron, Calamus, and Cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh, aloes, with all the sheaf spices. He's continuing to describe spices, but I want to break it down for you because I think these are really beautiful. Spike Nord, we talked about it, it's a very expensive offering. What is a very expensive offering? When, for example, God asks Abraham to offer his son. When God comes into your heart, he sees so many different acts of love. Spike Nord is each time I am making a very significant sacrifice in my life. I decided to give up chocolate. I decided to give up coffee. I've decided to give up bad friendship. I've decided to act an act of love. Clemens is a sweet king. And you'll find it in Exodus 30, verse 23. It was actually used for making the oil that will be used to consecrate Aaron the priest and the vessels of the altar. And by the way, this is the same recipe we use to make the mayroon. So the, the unction of the sick, how, how it is made, it's made by the batch that we had originally from St. Mark who brought in the spices that was on the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we add to it all the ingredients that are mentioned in Exodus 30. So what is, what is Clemens? Clemens is a sign of dedication. God comes inside. He sees a spike nard, which is a sign of sacrifice. He sees Clemens, which is a sign of dedication and consecration to God. He sees myrrh and aloes. What's myrrh and aloes? Myrrh and aloes are used specifically to bury people. They're actually spices for death. God sees that you have killed the old man. He sees inside of you something new. And that's, that's the beauty that God is looking in. One of the Western saints, she said, well, how misleading our appearances and how unjust the judgments. Oh, how often virtues suffer only because it remains silent. To be sincere with those who are insistently stinging, stinging, stinging us demands much, demands much self-denial. One bleeds, but there is no visible wound. Oh, Jesus, it's only on the last day that many of these things will be made known. 
what joy none of our efforts would be lost. So there is no virtue that does not require sacrifice. And what makes virtue difficult when people don't understand the virtue? You're at work trying to be humble. People will step over, over you. You're trying to be honest. People might try to get you in trouble. Virtue requires much self-denial. And, God, and, the, and, and when the leads requires an actual death of a lot of our desires for that beautiful garden to be built. This is all by the way God is talking about how beautiful the soul is. He's describing the beauty inside. He says, O fountain of gardens, a well of living water and streams from Lebanon. What is God saying? He's saying that garden I have is not a garden that needs like a special reservoir to keep it. It's fountain of gardens. My beloved has become a source of life to many around him. That's why in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, it says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When people come and sit next to you, they find gardens, rivers of water. That's why the Lord told the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again and again and again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. God gives us fresh water, water that's running, that's renewed. You know, like you never see somebody who experienced God and enjoy the Bible passage. And that's the only passage he ever enjoyed. Every day something new. Every day new feelings and new thoughts and new minds, new adventure, new experience. That's what's happening in this garden. And he says from Lebanon, If you look in Jeremiah 18:14, look what does the verse is. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing water be forsaken for strange waters? He's telling him, you like the water that's coming from Lebanon. That's a very unique water. That's really helping us to show that we, the people who walk with God, they become extremely unique. In the relationship with God. And unique in feeding other people. People can be transformed. But what you tell them. And all of us might remember. A specific time. When we spoke. Uh, or when people spoke to us. And they became extremely. Uh, beneficial to us. Then the Lord said in verse 16 he says awake O north winds and come O south blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out 
Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. So what is God saying here? He's talking about two different types of winds, north and south. And actually in, in the scripture there are four different types of winds. We'll talk about them quickly to understand what he's talking about. When he's talking about the northern winds, the northern winds represents... So let me back up. The word wind itself in Greek, it's the same word as for spirit. It's the same word that's used for spirit and wind. So the northern winds were known to be aggressive. It's a very powerful wind. And it represents when the Holy Spirit is a reprover. He kind of reproves you. And you'll see it in John 16, 8 through 11. The south wind was known to be more gentle. When the Holy Spirit comes as a comforter. This is what the Lord said in John 14. And I will pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Okay? In the Bible also there is a west wind that's known to be rainy. You will see it in 1 Kings 18 or Luke 12, uh, 54. And he said to the multitude, whatever you see, a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. That's a rainy one. So it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there is, there'll be hot weather. So people in Israel, when God says north wind, south wind, east wind, west wind, they exactly understand what he's talking about. For us, obviously, these are new, no more creature for us. So we're trying to learn what he's saying. So what is God saying? He's saying, arise, O north winds, and come, O south blow upon my garden so the north wind is the wind that comes when the holy spirit comes and cleanse me from all the evil thoughts that's left inside of me and the south wind is the wind that comes and comfort me as god is cleansing me because the cleansing process is not easy unfortunately a lot of people Ignore the comfort of the Spirit and give up quickly. And that becomes a challenge for them as, as, um, as they move on with the spiritual life because they don't grow. Also, notice something beautiful. When God says, let awaken a north wind and come a south blow upon the garden, God is certain that the garden is waiting for the Holy Spirit to interfere any time. God does not come at an expected time. The work of the Spirit does not come when I am expecting for the Spirit to come. The Spirit comes maybe at a time when I expect Him at the very beginning of my spiritual life. But as, as I move on with my spiritual life with God, He comes at an unexpected time. My garden must be ready for the wind to come. That's why the Lord said, I come as a thief in the nights. Because there's an element of us where we have to be ready. And then the, the soul is saying, His garden. Like look here, the verses, let my beloved the, the second part, 
when it says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits, this is a soul responding. This is the first time that soul has spoke for a very long time. She's saying, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. The soul is saying, all what I have inside of me belongs to God. And by the way, that in itself is an important responsibility. Because if everything inside of me belongs to God, I cannot compromise on thoughts that come and reign over me. Everything inside belongs to Him. Now we'll start chapter 5. The Lord, when the soul told him, Come to my garden, eat of the fruit. What did Jesus say? Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1 says, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with the, my spice. I have eaten my honey, come with the honey. I have drunken my wine with my milk. And then she, to his friend, to her friends, she says, Eat, O friends, drink. He has drank deeply, O beloved ones. What's happening? She invites God to come to eat of the fruits and God fulfill the promises of coming and eating what she has to offer. And this is, was a promise that God has given in Isaiah. He says, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. There's some time in your life or before even you ask God something, you see Him responding. I didn't even pray. And God gave me this. I didn't even ask. And He responded. And then God calls her sister and spouse. If you guys remember, when God created Adam, He took a bone out of, out of His side and created Eve. We are the bride of the Lord and we came out of his pierced side of the Savior. That's why in Ephesians says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So God is coming and says, you are part of me. And I'm coming to fulfill what I have promised. I have come to eat of the fruit. What is, what is kind of the fruits that God will eat from? Before we talk about the fruits, I want to just kind of go to a tangent and come back to the fruits. If you look at the nation of Israel... The nation of Israel, God wanted to make it holy. So how did God make the nation of Israel holy? He sent them three different offices to take care of them. The office of a king, the office of a priest, and the office of a prophet. The prophet was to warn them to repent. The priest was to intercede for them in prayer. And the king was to execute the action that God wanted them to take. And this was, this was the, the way that God have, uh, have decided to help Israel to come back to Him. 
Now, when God says, I have gathered myrrh, the myrrh symbolizes the dwelling of the Holy Spirit among the people are anointed. And, and if you look in the, in the scripture, if you guys remember, when the three, the, 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 the wise men came to our Lord Jesus Christ, they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're representing the three offices of the Lord that he will fulfill them. And obviously the word spice represents the suffering and the sacrifice. So the Lord will eat them. What does that mean, eat them? God eats our praise and our worship. One of the fathers said that praising God is the food of the angels. That's why if you guys remember in a very famous story in the Gospel of Mark, when God came to cast out a demon, the demon told him, O Holy One of Israel, what did God tell the demon? Told him, be quiet. You have not given to praise me. When we worship, we actually feed God. He enjoys, he enjoys, he tastes our virtue and our life and the dwelling of the spirits. And that becomes that becomes important because it means that we become partaker of God's own joy. We become partaker of God's own joy. And then he says, he says in this verse, I have eaten my honeycomb with honey. Obviously the honeycomb is different from the liquid that's dripping. And, and, uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ, after resurrection, he ate fish with honeycomb. And honeycomb actually reminds us of the life of resurrection with God. So I want to tell you guys something. The, the food that God is talking about here, the honeycomb and the milk and all this stuff, in the, old, in the ancient time, feasts used to happen in a garden. Like, you know, when people want to have a wedding, they have an outside wedding. So when people want to have a feast, they'll have it in a garden. They did not have a lot of sugar back then. It was not even existent. So people would bring honey. So he's talking about a wedding that God is partaking in after resurrection. After we have raised with him. And then he says, I will drink my wine with milk. And actually it's a beautiful thing because usually the cup of wine represents the suffering that the Lord has to take. But because he suffered, we're able to obtain mercy. So the, the wine and milk is the suffering of God and the milk that we have received because of that suffering. He suffers so we can grow with him. And that's why the Lord says, I no longer call you servants. I will call you friends. Now, I want to stop here because there will be like a, a really very significant shift right now in the story. This is what happened when the human soul married the Lord and they are in love with God and everything is great. God responds quickly. The Spirit is doing good. Everything looks beautiful. It looks like something happened. 
And from, verse, from chapter 5, verse 2, the human soul will be lost. Again. You see how much God spoke about the human soul? But she will be lost today because of a different reason. We talked about the reasons of discouragement and ignorance, the reason of laziness. Today, the soul will be lost because of a different reason. But let's look at this reason. Look, it's a big shift. And the shift happened so quickly. The shift happened so quickly. What does she say? She says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. You want to tell her, yes, right? I sleep, but my heart eh, is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. The human soul, after a while, takes its relationship with God for granted. And it falls into the sin of lukewarmness, which is one of the most dangerous sin people fall into. And lukewarmness is always associated with excuses. So what is she saying? She's saying, I sleep, but my heart is awake. What does that mean? What does that sound like? I am busy, but I love God. Busy, 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 but I, I, I'm, 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 you know, God is in my heart. Right? I don't go to church, but I'm a good person. I don't pray, but I like to serve. Everybody says that same thing, you know. I don't like to pray as much as I like to do, but I, my son is willing to help anybody. You say, I go to church, and I like going to church, so I find it okay for me to lie. I find it okay for me to deceive, because I feel like I'm a good person, I go to church. When people come and invite me to come to spiritual meetings or retreats, whatever, I say, look, I have done it before. You know, I've done that before. Some people say, Abuna, I'm willing to accept anything, anything, but I don't want anybody to hurt my pride. This is what's happening. She left her husband at midnight, at the moment of the most intimate time. He stands at the door knocking. And she gives herself excuses. Reminds us of what happened at Gethsemane. Since then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? This is Peter who saw transfiguration, who saw miracles, whom God praised him a few times. He told him, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. He told him, the spirit is indeed dwelling, but the flesh is weak. I am awake, I am asleep, but my heart is awake. The spirit indeed dwelling, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, 
unless I drink it, you will be done. He came again and found them sleepy, for their eyes were heavy. God commands them to watch and pray. Watch for your sins. I was actually a while ago reading a book about somebody, yeah, and some people said he used to see the Lord regularly. He was, a, was an orth, Coptic Orthodox doctor. And one of the diaries he had, he says, one time he lied to his wife. He saw the image of the Lord Jesus torn in his house. One time he committed a sin, he saw God standing, turning his face away from him. Lukewarmness happens when I give myself wrong understanding and feed wrong ideas that will make me comfortable. Abuna, I don't want to come to confession until I overcome sin. Yes, I am very intelligent. It's like I don't want to go to the doctor until I feel better. Until I'm healed. So I could show the doctor I'm doing good, doctor. Somebody will be like, I, wanna, I, I don't usually like to read, so I don't, don't tell me to read the Bible. Tell me to do something else. There's nothing else. That's the Word of God. Where do we get you other, where else are we going to get you words to hear? Somebody will be like, God, God did not fulfill something I, I asked for in the past, so um, every time I pray, I, I, I feel I can't trust. Or you find people, for example, saying, oh, everybody sins, when everybody does the same thing. And find them sharing some of their own sins together. People share sins with time. People share drunkenness and share gossip and share lies and sh share how many times we can deceive others. Many people isolate people from their own grades and their own friendship group, friend group and treat them really bad. That's why it's very important for us to watch for distraction. Because distraction is one of the things that does not make me even see that I am lukewarm. The problem with lukewarmness is that the soul is not totally asleep. So it thinks it's okay. It thinks it will be fine. It's like the foolish versions. They fell asleep, right? Thinking they have enough. It's like Jonah in the ship. He ran away from God, but somehow he's able to sleep. And if you want to see that how to dissect the problem of lukewarmness, you can find it in Revelation chapter 3. From verse 15 to 20. This is the Lord talking to one of the bishops of the church. He tells him, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Why? Look what's the problem here. Because you say, I am rich. 
You say, I'm a weak. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not you realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. God told him, your problem is you walk around thinking you're fine. You're okay. And you say, I don't need any more. I don't need more prayer. I don't need more Bible. I don't need any of this stuff. He told him, you are pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. He tells him, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich. What is gold refined in fire? Come and experience some tribulation. That you wake up. Wake up. The problem, the problem is the period of lukewarmness. Be careful. That God's voice is always gentle. When God comes to approach you, He doesn't come screaming at you, He doesn't come yelling at you. When God came to Saul, St. Paul, what did God tell him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's what God told him. When God came to Peter to tell him that he will deny him, he told him, he told him that, Verily I say to you, before the rooster crow, you will deny me three times. When God came to Judas, he honored him. The, the, usually the, the, the head of the household, the first thing he does, he gives the first bite to the second person in age, the, the, the oldest person. He gave him this. He said, whoever will eat with me will betray me. When he came to kiss him on the cheek, he called him a friend. God knocks on the door and he doesn't tell you, I'm coming because you need me. He tells you, the rain, I am, it's raining on me. I want you. And he comes and sounds like a desperate person. Even though we're the one who's in need. Because the Lord does not want to bring us driven by fear. He does not want us to come belittled and feel like he doesn't, he doesn't value us. God truly sees us as an enclosed garden full of fruits and full of beauty. For God stands at the door knocking. And I sit inside and I feel I'm okay. God is waiting and I'm resting, I'm indifferent. What happens when I'm at my bed at night and I'm certain, certain that God is calling me to get up and pray? What would I do? What happens if it's too early in the morning and I have, I woke up a bit early. Is this an invitation from my cell phone or is this an invitation from God himself to spend time with him? God says, I'm standing, look what he's saying, 
He says, For my head is covered with dew, and my locks with a drop of night. The dew is the heavily, is the, it falls heavily in the summer nights in the east. So this is a night in the summer, and the dews are falling a lot. That's why the Lord in Luke said, and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, when he came, he could not find places where he can rest. No hearts, no minds, no souls. And drops at night, drops at night reminds us of the garden in Gethsemane. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. God tells me, get up to pray. I'm lazy. I'm tired. Jesus says, I am in the garden sweating blood. Because I need you. Lukewarmness makes me deceived. Makes me deceived. I come to church. People talk highly of me. People think highly of me. Everybody sees me in a good way. I'm okay. There are people who serve, who come to take communion every week, and there is no change in their life. There's no change. Nothing. No prayers, no Bible. Worst behavior. A life of constant lukewarmness. There are people, if you ask them anything in the Bible, they'll give you 50,000 explanations but they will not be willing to hear one advice. Lukewarmness is destructive. And that's what prevents the soul from being committed to God. Laziness is different than lukewarmness. Laziness, I am lazy, I know I am lazy. Lukewarmness, I am lazy, but I don't know that I'm lazy. What excuses she gives him? She tells him, I have taken off my rope. How can I put it on again? She's in her bed. I have, waste, I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? Like you want me to get up to open the door? That means I have, I have to put, out, put on my rope. I have now to touch the floor. You know, it's almost like when somebody brings you like a nice dessert from Egypt, you'd be like, you know, I brushed my teeth. I can't eat it now. It's like, you know, God forbid you brush your teeth twice. It's a disaster. This is kind of almost what's happening right now. Like, she's like, I'm not going to get up. She started to make three different stupid excuses. You guys remind us of the parable in Luke 14, chapter 18. When God invited people to a feast, what did people tell him? Oh, I, have a, I have brought a piece of ground. I must go. 
I have an ox. I have excuses. Why don't you come? Why don't you come to youth? I work Friday. Don't take Friday off. Come serve. We invite people to serve. I don't like to serve kids. I don't like to serve in the kitchen. I don't like to serve here. I don't like to serve there. What is it? This is not an entertainment business. This is not shopping. It's not what you like. It's what you're called to. Excuses. I put on my robe. I don't want to take it off. I don't like fasting food. It upsets my stomach. It upsets the stomach of everybody. Not only your stomach. When it upsets your stomach, it means you have to eat less. I'm sorry, I can't fast because I have to build muscles at the gym, so I need some protein shakes. Yeah, my I, do you want me to take off my rope? To put on my rope? You want me to get my feet dirty? I came to church, people didn't say hi to, didn't say hi to me, so I, I, I can't come anymore. Excuses. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Unbelievable. I want, I'm going on vacation. Uh, I don't want to fast on vacation. Okay. Wow. This is such a great sacrifice that you fast on vacation. You want me to get my foot dirty? You want me to really like sacrifice like you're talking about? No way. My friends are going on a bachelorette party or a bachelorette party. It's tons of examples. Tons of examples that we find excuses for. And becomes a problem. Why? Because before I used to let God before I used to let God lead me. I used to invest all my energy to let God lead me. I used to dream about serving and working for God and, and offering everything to Him. Now, it's not the same. Now I have different dreams and different goals. I have to put efforts that I'm no longer willing to put. It becomes a problem. That's why people fall into lukewarmness. Because God speaks clearly and they choose to follow their own thinking. Now what's the problem with lukewarmness? I could be deceived by one thought and one excuses for years and potentially until the end of my life and not waking up. Now in America, many people are deceived by smoking marijuana. And everybody says it makes me feel good and nothing makes me happy except the marijuana. And it's like, it's something that has shown to prove to destroy people's hearts and lungs and very harmful. It's a poor way of managing, it's just terrible. Everybody says, ah, oh, I need it, I can't live without it. The doctor wrote it for me. But lie to yourself. 
If you go to any doctor and tell him I need I need a pain most of them will write it for for you marijuana in New Jersey. Do not convert yourself of something and it clearly against the voice of God and take it and run with it. The voice of God is clear. I'm standing outside. You must put the sacrifice. You must put the effort. Otherwise, we become in the state of lukewarmness. And you see the huge shift that happened between somebody is in love with God to all of a sudden very far away from God. God is there. He's speaking to them. They can hear him. See how, how crazy this is? They can hear him. They can hear him clearly. But they think they are good and they can't get up. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.